Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. I'm Richard Porritt. On this week's show, uh, I'll be talking later on to New European's editor, Matt Kelly, about some of the delights that we've been handed this week in the party's manifestos. We shall be crowning our Brexiteer of the Week once again with Steve Anglesey. And Steve joins me now with Jerry Scott, the journalist, to talk about what, how we think the leaders have done so far. So, um, who's been the most presidential? Jerry? Um, I think Theresa May's probably been the most presidential so far. I think you've just got to take a look at the uh, battle bus going around the country at the moment. It's emblazoned with vote for Theresa May, Theresa May. Um, Conservatives actually very small. I think it's mentioned twice on the whole thing. So I think that really, she takes the biscuit there. And in the manifesto, uh, which I've just got my hands on, I'm looking forward to poring over it, of course, um, Throughout, it says Theresa May's Conservatives, so she 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 now really does own the party. Steve, what do you think about Theresa's performance so far? It's, well, that's a bit of a rebrand, isn't it? I don't, in terms of who's been most presidential, obviously, what we expect from presidents has, has <laughs> changed, hasn't it? Nobody, as I don't think anybody, has leaked anything directly to the Russians uh, during one of their manifesto launches, um, or uh, or fired uh, anybody really important. So. Um, I think in terms of what we expect from presidents, which is an awful lot of empty rhetoric with very little substance, Theresa May's manifesto launch was a superb uh, exercise in that. She said uh, she made a lot of noises about being inclusive, being a different kind of conservative. Uh, at one stage, she reached out to the the rest of the forgotten people in in places other than London, but didn't really say anything apart from uh, they were going to put some more civil servants in parts of the country, which I'm sure people in Teesside will be absolutely delighted about. Um, and the Conservative manifesto held some really nasty surprises um, for um, for parents and for OAPs. So in terms of being pre- presidential means putting a really good gloss on it uh, and not really saying anything and disguising your true intentions, then Theresa May has been very presidential this week. Like been, made, sorry, sorry, Jerry. I was going to say, what else was interesting though about the manifesto launch um, was the amount of time she used I and me rather than us and being more inclusive, and I think that points towards more a presidential as well. Well, this is all down to, to Linton Crosby, of course, and he, he's trying to sell this campaign on uh, Theresa May being the strongest person to take us into the negotiations with Europe. Um, and it, it, it's clearly all coming from, from, the, uh, from the desk of Crosby. Steve, do you agree? 
Well, absolutely. I, I mean, the Conservatives are, you know, a, a tarnished brand. A lot of their big hitters have, have been completely tarnished by uh Brexit, even people who voted for Brexit know Michael Gove and Boris Johnson flat out lied to them uh, and so those guys are, are, are sidelined uh, Theresa May remains very popular among, uh, uh, among, uh, the, among the country at large, much more popular than the party and some of the party's policies and I think that there is a sense despite her drivel about the country coming together, I do think that there is a sense that people think we should give her a chance to see what she's all about. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good strategy from Linton Crosby. It is probably the only card he's got to play though. Um, but there is an element of the presidential about Jeremy Corbyn. Don't laugh. But some of the rallies. Well, resident, the- I would say residential. <laughs> 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 yes, he'll be annoyed about his winter fuel period. Yes, he will. Yeah. Um, no, did you? I mean, the rallies are extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah, Jeremy Corbyn is really good at making that speech because it is the same speech that he's been making for the last thirty-five <laughs> years. Uh, it is a laundry list of hopes and dreams of everybody, all of us who are in some way connected with uh, with the, the the labour movement or have been. Uh, and he's he's really good at doing it. He's he's a very polite and avuncular man. Um, I don't think that you would meet many people who would suggest that he was prime ministerial or presidential. I've just written a column which suggests that if Jeremy could go around and knock on every door and get an answer in the UK, that this election might be a bit closer than it probably is going to be. Would you agree with that? I would agree with it. I, I mean, he, he, as, as, as readers will know and listeners to the podcast will know, he knocked on our editor's door a couple of weeks ago and gave a very good account of himself. Now, you have to say that that is really nice. And then Matt, our editor, looked out of his door about half an hour later and he'd gone to the estate over the street and been talking to the same person for about 20 minutes. And you go, well, that is obviously somebody who cares about his local community and somebody who is a, a genuine person and not just been parachuted in and out. You would then have to question the wisdom of five weeks out from polling day what Jeremy Corbyn is doing on his own safe seat doorstep um, when he could be reaching out to people uh, in marginals elsewhere in the country. Yes, well that was that was my thought when, uh, when Matt mentioned that on the pod last week, I think it was. Um, Jerry... Tell us about Tim Farron. He's had a strange campaign. It started badly, then it then it got better. Where is he now? He's had an odd one, hasn't he? Um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot about Tim Farron that I think people like. I think there's a lot about him that people can can kind of connect to, and he seems genuine. He does seem like a genuine guy, but there's also a lot problematic in some of his personal beliefs for someone you know under the Liberal Democrat banner. Um, has he clawed it back? I really don't know. I think there's still a lot of distrust from the Lib Dems from young people. I don't want to harp on about tuition fees, but whilst that a lot of their policies are targeting the young, I'm not sure the youngs trust them, and I think that's a real big problem for them and for Tim Farron personally. Yeah, he um, obviously we were talking about his uh, his tussle with gay sex, shall we say, at the start of campaign, and then. <laughs> And then earlier this week, in fact, timed very nicely for the day that they released their manifesto, we heard that he had, at some stage in the past, held 
um, some views on abortion laws that probably wouldn't sit well with most Liberal Democrat voters. And of course, way back, he also wasn't hugely sold by the EU. He's even said himself that he's a, a sceptic. Um, Steve, do you think he has changed his views or do you think he's just after votes? Well, I, I mean, I honestly, I honestly don't know. And uh, does, I, does Tim Farron even know? Uh, I just think, you know, it, this that campaign really lasted one day, and uh, and I think that many of the people um, who before this had had invested in Tim Farron and had written to the New European about their enthusiasm for Tim Farron and his um, and his kind of stance on Brexit and his determination to make it a single issue election for the Lib Dems uh, will feel a bit like. People might have felt the people who cheered for Tyson Fury against Klitschko, and then and celebrated when he won, and then the next day picked up the newspapers and, and read what Tyson Fury had said. So I think that is probably the first time that Tim Farron has ever been compared to a heavyweight boxing champion. <laughs> but there is a certain amount of yeah, it didn't take an awful lot of digging to to completely soil Tim Farron. He um, he does come across well, I think, when he meets the people. One of the one of the best moments so far was when he had the tussle with the um, with the uh, with the Leave voter. Did you see that, Jerry? I didn't know. Uh, he had a he had a bit of a, a, t- a bit of a back and forth. It felt like old fashioned campaigning, you know. I expected maybe John Prescott to rush in and and biff someone, but that didn't didn't happen. Was sadly, there any flour thrown. <clears throat> there was no flour and no <laughs> eggs. But I think Tim, I think Tim, um, you know, barring those. Those bad moments has done okay, but is the Brexit message is it done now? Is it cutting through? Are people that bothered? Did they put all their eggs in one Brexit basket? That's uh, and it's not worked for them, Jerry. Um, you know, I think there are a certain amount of people who do think, you know, I voted to remain, but vote's been done. There's nothing I can do about it now, and I do think those people are out there. Um, but there are still those who who still, you know, hope all hope is not lost type thing. And I don't think targeting those people is a mistake. Um, and I don't think it's a waste of time. But is it going to get them anywhere? I'm not necessarily sure it will um, when people see it as a bit of a two-horse race. My view is that they um, they, they did make the right choice and they should have gone on, on that ticket. But it, the, the background to the Lib Dems is has hamstrung them somewhat. Do you think, Steve, that if it had been Labour who'd have taken that really hard no to Brexit stance that we would have a, a closer run in to the final weeks of the election? Yeah, and I think I, I do I do think that and I think that the the polls are now showing that the people who swung to the Lib Dems because they were uh, because they were standing against Brexit and it looks like you know between 7 and 10% of people are now gradually coming back to Labour um partly because of the um of the the poor performance of, of Tim Farron frankly and the and the Lib Dem campaign which has just failed to get any cut through and partly despite what I said about Jeremy Corbyn a couple of minutes ago I think the Labour campaign and despite Diane Abbott um, and despite John McDonnell the Labour campaign has actually been better a lot better than, than most people uh, had, had predicted um, but I think Jerry is right you know the two polls this week 
One of them said that 45% of the country believed that Brexit was the wrong thing and 45% of it believed that it was the right thing. Uh, and the other one said that um, only 25% of people wanted to stop Brexit now and the other 25% who thought it was a bad idea were willing to go along with it and see what happened and I, and I think that that is a growing uh, thing and has probably negated some of the, the appeal of the Lib Dems too. Okay, well there's plenty more time for the leaders to further disgrace themselves of course. Um, until next week, thank you very much. Brexiteer of the Week Welcome back. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey, who puts together our Brexiteer of the Week. Um, and this week, we're also going to talk about the World Cup of Brexit. But first, Steve, tell us about the Brexiteer of the Week. Uh, well, again, obviously a rich choice of idiocy uh, among the Brexiteers this week. Uh, a couple that I want to highlight... Um, uh, Kirsty Adams, who I was unaware of before the election uh, was caused, but uh, was called. Uh, Kirsty's been a councillor in Bedford. Uh, she's the Tory challenger for Hove and Portslade, uh, and this week uh, she did an interview with the local paper that the uh, the Argus in Brighton. Um, where she refused to talk about Brexit. Uh, it's obviously it's it's quite a big uh, it's quite a big topic there. It was, it's a Remain constituency which was very marginal at the last election. Expected to be that way again. Uh, Tory uh, Labour uh, marginal, and uh, and she just refused to to talk about it. She said, "I didn't campaign for the outs. I didn't campaign for the ins." We've got to look to the future, that's what I'm about. And then she just point blank refused to say what she believed about it and how she'd voted in the referendum. And I I just thought that in the week where Twin Peaks is coming back, this could be a new way of politicians communicating with the public. And and perhaps, you know, in future we'll have to find out what people believe through sort of dream sequences with dancing dwarves and glamorous women whispering in our ear and then we'll actually find out what Kirsty Adams or Theresa May thought about something in 25 years time so that's possibly a new idea the Brexiteer of the week though uh, for again uh, is is Nigel Farage and it, it seems a bit it seems a bit obvious to accuse Nigel Farage of having a tin ear. Um, I don't think enough has been made of this story. Nigel Farage was on in Eastleigh uh, last weekend. He's been doing a very small tour of mainly coastal places. Uh, he played in Eastleigh. £60 a head it was to go and watch him in a, in a small club that's it's actually a jazz club. Um, uh, so I hope none of the usual clientele turned out. But he ended his big speech. It was an evening with Nigel Farage, and he ended his big speech and his Q and A uh, by saying, "If they, this is a quote, if they don't deliver this Brexit that I've spent 25 years of my life working for, I will be forced to don khaki, pick up my rifle, and head for the front line." And this obviously brought the house down. Now. It's one thing, isn't it, for people who are Brexiteers and part of that Brexit generation to use these military metaphors, and then we all snigger that it's a bit dad's army, but, you know, people like the the, the taking back control and reclaiming our birthright and Winston Churchill appropriating that kind of stuff. Um, It is risible on that level, um, 
But what I find really offensive and what I still can't believe that Nigel Farage is, is doing is that he's talking about putting on khaki and picking up a rifle and marching on Westminster. And, you know, we're 11 months after he was laying flowers in Parliament Square, after Joe Cox was shot dead by a man in khaki with a rifle. Uh, you know, and this is obviously also the guy that said the referendum had been won without a bullet being fired. So Nigel Farage is the Brexiteer of the week, and he's also a fucking idiot. <laughs> I've got to bleep that now. <laughs> Thanks very much. Tell us about the tell us about the um, the Brexit World Cup, Steve. Tell us how it worked first. Explain it to us. So the World Cup of Brexit was a Twitter poll uh, that the New European account ran. Uh, over three days, uh, it was uh, an idea that partly came out of uh, the March for Europe, which was in March, uh, and we went round Parliament Square with a video crew, and we were asking people who was the one person that they most blamed for Brexit. And I was really surprised by the sort of the breadth of responses. People blamed all manner of, of people, Gisela Stewart, Kate Howey, uh, obviously, the, the sort of the big guns of Brexit came out. A lot of people blamed Tony Gallagher, the editor of The Sun, Paul Dacre, the editor of The Mail. Uh, so, uh, so it came out of that, and also, obviously, shamelessly, it came out of the, the World Cup of Biscuits, which Richard Osman from Pointless uh, has done a couple of times on Twitter. Um, so we did it over three days, 36 uh, entrants, including all of the usual suspects, uh, very hard fought, 33,000 votes later, it came down to uh, Theresa May and Nigel Farage. And the Brexiteer of the Week was also the winner of the World Cup of Brexit. Nigel Farage uh, won, uh, he won convincingly, um, so not really, uh, not really any sort of unfinished business there for Nigel. He won really convincingly. So he's the Brexiteer of the Week and he's the winner of the World Cup of Worst Brexiteers. And again, he is a f***ing idiot. <laughs> Nigel, congratulations. And Steve, thank you very much. He's won the double. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Welcome back. I'm joined uh, by The New European's editor, Matt Kelly. We're going to talk about um, our splash this week on the NHS, but in more detail, probably the manifestos as well. Um, Matt, well, quickly, let's get the NHS over and over because it will bring us into the manifestos uh, nicely. Um, is there anything in the manifestos that's brave enough to, to rescue and safeguard the NHS uh, when we get to post-Brexit and even pre-Brexit? Uh, I haven't seen anything that is a convincing, credible solution to the to the chronic mess that the NHS is in. Everyone agrees that the NHS is in a state. Uh, we've got a special report in this week's paper about why that is. You know, the fact is we don't spend enough money on it. There's also um, a chronic sense of chaos. There's too many different systems. There, uh, and, of course, we are incredibly dependent in the NHS on migration 
skills into the NHS, nurses, doctors, doctors in particular, huge amounts of doctors trained in the European Union working in our NHS. And this seems, the idea seems to be that we're going to replace those with homegrown talent, which I think is a really dubious presumption to make, especially in the short term. But also, you know, why would you want to, to limit the capabilities and the, the potential of the NHS by this idea that we're going to reduce migration into the country where we need it you know and I think on the broader point the Tories have come out today with this very uh, uh, well I in my view inflated promise that they're going to bring migration down to the tens of thousands um, if you listen to um, people who know even more than we do there's not a single Tory minister actually believes it's possible thinks it's a good idea it's bizarre that Theresa May, having had a dreadful record as Home Secretary about controlling net migration, should be so keen to persevere with this. But of course, it's the message that they want to hear, isn't it? It's the dog whistle to the UKIPers, is we're going to crack migration, even if there's a net cost to the economy. So, I mean, crazy, crazy times. And, I mean, that picking up on that point about migration... Um, this, it seems almost like she's keeping it in because she's determined that she will meet this figure. You know, yeah. she will not be called a failure. Well, I mean, I'll I'll call her a failure straight away. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I'll tell you why she's a failure. Here's her uh, record as Home Secretary on net migration, and this is all the time under the pledge of bringing it down to the tens of thousands. In 2011, 242,000. In 2012, 183,000. 2013, 212. 2014, 260,000. 2015, 336,000 net migration. 2016, 273,000. So abject failure Mm. as a Home Secretary to deliver on this promise and yet it's there it's in the manifesto and people take it at face value you assume you know people must in the country hear that and go okay well that's good but the reality is it's never going to happen and she has got a track record of not being able to deliver it so why anyone would have any confidence in her this time i've got no idea what about on social care the tories well you know the daily mail today front page of the daily mail um you won't have to sell your home, um, which is true. But your family will as soon as you die. And what's happening now, this uh, Jeremy Hunt on the Today programme this morning on Radio 4, I thought absolutely brilliantly interrogated by Nick Robinson. And his only uh, real defence of this quite uh, far-reaching new measure against um, against uh, people who need care and want it in their homes was that they were equalising the equally punitive measures they've got to people who receive care out of their homes. Mm. So, in other words, it's just going to be... We're, we're making it as bad for everybody as, as we have done. So, this idea that uh, the £100,000 uh, uh, limit of... or the, the £100,000 that will be exempt from charge... Really, that's not going to cut much ice to people who've saved up their whole lives and bought their home. And are now, if they go into advancing age and need care at home, are facing the reality that they're not going to be able to pass that on to their, to their kids. So it is 
in every regard a death tax, which they have previously slagged off Labour mercilessly for proposing. This is their death tax. Um, I think the Daily Mail tried to spin it wildly this morning in a positive fashion. The Times had the other uh, side of the thing, which I thought was much more realistic, was not only are thousands and thousands of people facing much more punitive measures once they're dead, but also they're going to lose their winter fuel allowance of 300 quid as well. So loads of bad news for pensioners. But of course, fair enough, if they want to step up and say, I'm sorry, pensioners have had it too good for too long, and and this is where reality bites. Okay, there's an argument, because of course they're taking away the triple lock as well, so um, you won't get that 2.5% automatic rise. As it happens, I think inflation will probably, thanks to Brexit, be exceeding that anyway. So, but, but they don't dress it up like that, like it's realistic. They say, we're taking tough decisions. However, here's great news for pensioners. So yeah. there's a real kind of Orwellian double think going on. Absolutely. Do you think then, uh, social care-wise, the Lib Dems have got the better answer? And it's a far more, it's far simpler um, policy in just putting a penny on uh, income tax. I'd put 2p on income tax. You know, I really would. Let's nail this thing now. And I think there's a willingness, once people understand that it's not punitive, we pay relatively uh, low sums of money uh, as regards a percentage of our GDP for healthcare. There is a, a myth and, a, and an illusion in this country that we've got the world's best health service. We haven't. Um, we've got one of the best cheap health services in the country but it's currently falling to bits and and a remedy is long overdue and it is it's really a shame that the Tories you know while they're in this uh, supposedly invincible position haven't taken the opportunity to say do you know what we're really going to fix the NHS once and for all because everyone would support that I do believe Um, uh, and yet they've sort of default their default nature is to try and scheme and cherry pick their way into bad news so what are they scared of then is it that if it was as simple as you will all pay a little bit extra tax and that money will be ring fenced for social care in the NHS well that's really difficult that to, to ring fence a an, an incremental tax rise It's and, and there's lots of studies that suggest that that's a bad idea because to say um that money that you give will only be spent to the benefits of the NHS. However, I do think if there is a um, if there's a deficit of resource, then by far the fairest way to combat that is a general rise on income tax. You know that is the fairest way to do it, no doubt. So stick a penny or two pence on income tax, but don't tie yourself into saying all of that money will go onto the NHS. I think all of that money and more should go onto the NHS. I mean. Personally, I would reduce spend on defence, you know, and put it into the NHS. I'd, I would personally consider lots of things uh, in terms of a priority list, um, um, you know, up to and including foreign aid. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, um, but I do think it's ironic that, um, you know, without wanting to sound like Aaron Banks, it is ironic that we have. Um, stood steadfastly by our foreign aid commitments and yet we're not addressing the state of the NHS mm. you know I'm, it's very it's a very uncomfortable position but you know this is why they're the politicians and they're making the hard decisions or not are are the Tories spreading themselves too thin here between lots of different positions they seem to be 
grabbing at working class votes it, 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 with one hand and and trying to keep hold of the traditional Tory vote with the other. I mean, I understand that they want everyone, but can they be a party for everyone? I just think that there must be a machine somewhere that Linton Crosby is sitting over and it'll spit out a message that'll say, you know, there'll be a little alarm bell with... 48,000 votes short in the northeast of England. What are they into? (laughs) You know, and there'll be some sort of algorithm and it'll be fox hunting. You know, right, okay, that's shored up the vote in Westmoreland or whatever. You know, I've no idea. But it's not... I think the mistake in the question, if you'll forgive me, is to say the Tories have spread themselves too thin. I don't think the Tories are in this election. Team Theresa May, what the hell is that? You know, it's not the traditional Tory party. She is, she, you know, either it's one of two things. Either she has really gone out and said, this is what I'm, this is what I have conviction over and this is what I've been waiting all this time to deliver. And yet we sort of know that's not true because she, she's had convictions on all sorts of polar, polarised uh, um, positions in the in the past. Or she is being heavily led by the nose by a Linton Crosby campaign to really kill the Labour Party. I know what's, what uh, answer my money's in. I think if if you listen to her speaking, it's clear that she's having message, messages drummed oh, into her. But isn't it just pathetic? It then? is rather, yeah. But well, I asked the question on Twitter, and it was a genuine question. And the question was, do people actually buy this shit? Mm. And unfortunately, I think the answer is yes. A lot of people do. And they see all the oozing sincerity and they say, yes, yeah, strong and stable. They see it, they hear it, and it works. I mean, I interviewed her just over a week ago and I said halfway through the interview, I said, no one's said strong and stable yet. And she even raised a smile and then said strong and stable twice in the next answer <laughs> with a straight face. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It well, really someone is. explained it to me um, <clears throat> and you know, it makes a, a huge amount of sense and I should have known it myself being involved in the media is that... Most people do not listen to as much TV and radio as you and I do, and people mm. who probably listen to this podcast who are yeah. passionate about politics. Most people catch snatches of it, 10 seconds here, 5 seconds there. So, And they know that these messages are getting edited down all the time. So if you work on the basis that you've got to say it 40 times for one bloke in Leeds to hear it in that five-second snatch on on, on uh, the one show or whatever, you say it 40 times. Yeah. And most people aren't sitting there laughing their heads off at how often she repeats it like a bloody robot. Well, I cut it straight out of the story I wrote uh, last night, so that person in Leeds <laughs> is going to miss it when they... I think we should start inserting it in <laughs> to her quotes, just at random. You know, just whatever she's talking about, strong and stable, strong and stable. I think the one one thing before we leave it, Matt, I think the, the thing that um, is probably going to come back and, and bite um, Team Teresa on the backside is the fact that they c- they cannot possibly deliver on all this uh, on everything they're promising to everyone it'll, over the next five years. It'll be too late by then, won't it? We'll have been conned, and like sort of saps on a street corner, having just been ripped off by some guy playing find the lady, we'll be looking round and 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 he or she won't be there. So, you know, it's it's the thing that I if I was being all polemical about it, the thing I would say to people is that. This she's made this vote about Brexit, right? And all of the other stuff she's talking about, the reality is that is business as usual. They're lying to us. They're telling us whatever they think we want to hear. But all of that stuff is ultimately reversible. 
in five years' time, you know, we can you can throw a government out. But the one irreversible, permanent thing we're talking about in this election is Brexit. So I think people really need to think very hard about do they uh, vote on all the temporary reversible things or do they vote about the one permanent, absolutely irreversible thing, Brexit? And I honestly don't know how I'm going to vote yet. I'm a constituent of Jeremy Corbyn's. I'm still thinking very hard about what is the right message for me to send an anti-Brexit vote. Um, It was an interesting three weeks ahead of us. Absolutely. Okay, Matt, thank you very much. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Um, In the meantime, click the subscribe button, buy the newspaper, it's on sale now, and uh, log on to the website, www.theneweuropean.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.